Well, welcome everyone. Good morning. Welcome here to Lord of Grace. Welcome everyone watching us online. Uh, this is the second in a little four-part series I'm doing that I'm titling Embracing the Struggle, uh, where we talk about keeping the faith uh, when life is difficult and when life isn't simple or easy, which is basically all the time. And uh, today, we are going to look at guilt. Interesting, that was the first one the kids picked. Um, so, of course, this is, you know, this is a topic, uh, as a parent, we all, you know, this is, parents, we know this guilt well, right? We're very well acquainted with it. Uh, and the internet has not made it better, right? Just when you think you've been a good parent, you go online, and there's somebody else who has figured out, you know, how to make the cutest, funnest yard game, and is spending their Saturday afternoon playing this cute, fun, homemade yard game, you know, and you're tired and on the couch, and your kids are watching PBS, and you go, and you're scrolling, going, oh, I'm a bad father. I need to do more clever yard games. And then, of course, you do, and then, of course, you, you sit there, and then you, you don't ever, if you go on Pinterest, you, you, it's a rabbit hole of, it's a rabbit hole of great arts and crafts and fun ideas on Pinterest. You go down there, and then it's like, oh, man, look at her. She's, she's got this cool reading thing with her kids with this little, you know, they read so much, and then they get this little spoon, and you get so many spoons, and then you get, a, then, then you get an extra time thing that you're going to do, and, and then they keep a chart that measures all the things they do, and, and I'm like, wow, that's a really great, clever reading trick they've got going on. How many hours did she spend setting up all that stuff? Oh, I'm a bad parent, right? And it goes way beyond arts and crafts. Parent guilt goes way beyond arts and crafts, right? You know, you, you, you think about, like, raising your kids. You know, I, I think in the old days, raising kids was easy. You just had to make sure that they, you know, that they were fed, that they were clothed, that, you know, they didn't kill anybody or, or die or anything. And as long as you just took care of them, basically, and then, you know, made them do some chores, you were done as a parent. You didn't have to put all this stuff into them, right? It wasn't, you weren't expected to be the one to motivate them to go and play some great instrument and remind them to practice and take them to the lessons and, and you didn't have to, all this stuff you got to put in, right? But then you look and there's somebody else who is doing all those things and boy, their kids are doing stellar and you're going like, oh man, am I shortchanging them by not putting all the extra effort in to discipline them to do all these other things? Will they still get into a good college? Oh my God, I'm a bad parent. And then, of course, it goes even beyond that, right? The next one is what I call family guilt. And this is because most of us aren't that close to our families, like geographically close to our families. You know, we have to move around for jobs and things, and so we're not right there, and so keeping in touch with your family can be a little trickier, right? You got to call, you got to email, you got to post things, and all that is still not as much as the visits that you wish you could do. And, but we don't probably make as much, many visits to our family far away as we all wish we could do. You know, I, I think of myself, uh, my grandma, uh, she had been, she, she's been in Arizona, she had been in Arizona since the 80s, uh, was up in Sun City, and then moved to a big tower in Glendale. Uh, you can see it from the 101, the Freedom Plaza. Um, wonderful place. She could see the, and she had this nice apartment, and, and, you know, and we would, uh, you know, and she was in there in her 90s. It was kind of an assisted living place. And, and I always thought one of the great things about being in Arizona is I'd get to see my grandma more often. 
Uh, and so then we get to Arizona, but you know, it's an hour 45, and it's driving up that I-10, which is everybody's favorite road, and, and you know, what the time it's going to take, and, and, and so, and then you think, oh, this will be the day I'll go visit grandma this time, you know, we'll grab the kids, we'll go up to Glendale and visit grandma, and then you're like, oh, well, uh, maybe we didn't make it that time, and, and then I thought, well, you know, I'll stop by when I do one of those synod things, one of those bishops things up there, you know, I'll swing by afterwards, but by the time I'm done with, you know, five hours of lectures, I'm tired. I'm like, I'm not going to make the swing over from Tempe. And then, you know, there's always an excuse and another excuse and another excuse. And when my grandma died, all I thought about was all my lame excuses for not going to visit her. It's not like I never visited her. Uh, There was a synod assembly where I did, I do remember sitting there at a table and I was like all rot and I was talking to some women who went to the Sun City Church, and I was like, oh, man, should I go to the workshop, or should I go visit my grandma? And they all said, go visit your grandma. Um, so Bishop Hutter, I skipped out on that workshop. So, but, um, so, you know, but this is what we do. We get regrets, and then we feel guilty about it, you know, because our lives are full of so many things that we want to be doing and that we should be doing at the same time that our jobs demand more and more time. And so everything becomes a budgeting. So when you budget more for one, you're cutting out more of something else. And then there's always this sort of, what they call it, this guilt of omission, this guilt at what I didn't do that I wish I would have done, right? And, um, but it's not even always omission. I mean, we all know the things we've done, we have done, right? We've all, we've all done things we didn't want to do. You know, did you cheat on your spouse? Did you think about cheating on your spouse? Did you come close to doing it, but you didn't quite do it? You know, I don't know. Were, were you, were you, did you used to use something? And then you did a whole bunch of things in the process of that. That's right. That's why they, when they talk about coming clean, it's not just about the drugs. It's about having to face up to all the things you did to all the people who love you because of the drugs, right? We, all, we could go on and on. Every one of us has something that we wish we would have done more of or wish we would have done less of. And we carry this guilt around all the time, all our lives. And it doesn't go away just because we try to tell ourselves we don't care or we're not affected. Because we are affected and we do care and it eats at you. Unless you're a complete sociopath who doesn't feel for anybody else, in which case, see me, I'll get you a good counselor. So what do we do with it? Well... You can try to ignore it, bury it, pretend it's not there, uh, go back to scheduling, go back to being a busy schedule, if, and say, you know, if I'm really busy, then I won't notice it. Self-medicate. You could overcompensate. You know, we see that sometimes, right? I didn't do X, Y, Z for this kid, so now I'm going to do everything for this one. Although my family's kind of the opposite. It's always the older kids going, you know, boy, you, 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 you know, with us, you, we had all these rules. No, those two, they get away with everything. I'm like, yeah, but I'm 48. I'm old. So, so sucks to be you. But, right? We, but we do this. We overcompensate, right? And so what, what do we do? We, think we can bottle it up or we take it to someone else to get it off our chest, to deal with it. And who do you go to? Well, there's good places to go to. You can go to a therapist. You can go to a support group. Sometimes there's great online groups even, right? There's friends. You know, you can talk to your friends. And those are all good places to start. But I would say that all those things will get you so far, 
but you're still missing out on a piece. And that is that you need to take the real guilt to the Lord. Why? Because God knows you in a way the others don't know you. Because the others are all good. The others are all good. But they have to base, their, they have to base what they know on what you tell them, on what you show them. And even when we're confessing, we often can spin the confession in just such a way that it doesn't make us feel quite as bad as if we really fully confessed, right? And we can choose to only admit to certain things. And I think that's part of the knack of a good therapist has that knack of knowing kind of what's, what you're saying between the lines or what you're really getting at. But the truth is that that's a skill they do. When you go to the Lord, the Lord already knows everything that even you don't want to admit about yourself. There's an honesty there and a level of openness that you can't get with even the best person, which you should go see. You should still go see the Lord. Let's look at Psalm 25. This is a psalm that talks about dealing with guilt. And um, this is what we read. This is most of what we read this morning. I'll try to read it not too slowly. But it says, For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. And it says, Who are they that fear the Lord? He'll teach them the way. They should choose. They'll abide in prosperity. Their children will possess the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes his covenant known to them. And we get a bunch of requests. My eyes are ever towards the Lord. He will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and bring me out of distress. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. O oh, guard my life and deliver me. Do not let me put to shame, for I take refuge in you. Let's break this down a little bit. Starts out with the plea. A lot of psalms start out with a plea. O oh, Lord, help me. O oh, Lord, deliver me. O oh, Lord, protect me. That's a very common thing for psalms to do. And this one's plea is forgive my guilt. My guilt is great. Now, whatever it is, the psalmist doesn't say, it must have been a big thing. It must have been something serious. But you got to remember in the Old Testament, in particular, guilt is understood a little bit more as a state of being than it is uh, what you're feeling. So it's kind of like being on the outs with God. Or to use a cheesy phrase, like you're in the doghouse. Right? You did something wrong, and now you're in the doghouse. Um, and so it was kind of a state. And until you came to God to confess, you were still in that state of guilt. Right? And it's more than a feeling inside, but it is a feeling inside too. But in theory, you can be on the outs with God and not even fully know what you did. Right? Like you can be on the outs with your spouse and not know what you did. And not knowing what you did makes you more on the outs because you were, because if you were you know, really paying attention, you would know what it was that you really did or didn't do or forgot to do. But it's a, it's a, it's a state of being, on the, being in the wrong that, that comes clean when you come to God. And so the psalm here, the psalmist goes on, makes the plea, and then like I say, you get this whole laundry list of requests, right? Pluck my feet, be gracious, relieve my heart. Bring me from distress. Forgive my sins. Whole bunch of requests. Bing, 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 bing. But the keys to this whole psalm are in two verses that you probably 
just sort of glossed over. I did. Verse 14, the friendship of the Lord, it says. And then in verse 20, for I take refuge in you. The key here, key here is that God has a relationship with the person and that the person has a relationship with God. And because of that relationship, that friendship, the person feels safe going to God with these requests. And that connection is a fairly intimate connection, right? You, and notice how it uses that word friend. Yes, it's for those who fear the Lord, but do you really fear? How do, do you fear, but God's a friend? There's an intimacy to that. That's not what was common in the other gods around in that day. And if there wasn't a connection like that, you wouldn't bother going to God to confess, right? I mean, if you go, if you go to someone, if you need to go to someone because you have a feeling of guilt, and you need to fess up, and you need to admit some unpleasant things that you did that hurt them, you're not going to do that unless you think the person cares. If it's an enemy, you don't admit anything wrong to the enemy, right? They'll just use it against you. Um, you, you know, you don't want to give them fodder. You don't want to give them, you don't want to come to someone all humbling and admitting they did something wrong if they're just keeping score, right? So it has to be someone who's loving, who's safe, who's warm to go to. And the psalmist can go to God because God is a friend and a refuge, a companion, a protector. And I, I think that's the key to this that gets missed in a lot of discussion in churches about guilt. Because, of course, honestly, if you put the words church and guilt together in a sentence, what, what do we think about? I think about that guy when I was at pre-marriage counseling up in Massachusetts. Um, we were at a Catholic retreat center, and there was this guy sitting down, and a bunch of these priests were all sitting there, and he goes, you know, we don't always have to feel guilty just because we're Catholic anymore. Just because we're Catholic doesn't mean we have to feel guilty. It used to be you always had to feel guilt, but we don't always have to feel guilt anymore. I mean, we don't have to feel guilty anymore, and all the priests are kind of going. And every, we're all looking at each other like, what did he do? We're not feeling terribly guilty. But, I mean, this was kind of the old cliche. You know, even the priests are like, dude, you need to chill. But, right, but this is the old cliche. God is the great scorekeeper, right? You know, who looks down on you. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. And he knows what you did last summer and what you did online last night on the internet. And he's got a big finger and he's ready to rub it in. Right? And the perception is that church is where you go for the pastor to remind you of all those things you did so that you, you'll get a, you won't be so cocky and you'll admit that you really need to find that forgiveness so you don't go to hell. And what about that environment is safe and warm and loving? You know, what about that exudes friendship and refuge? What about that says acceptance and safety? You know, that's the opposite. Truth is, I know what I did last summer. You know, I know what I did back in college. And the people I've said bad things to are the people I've not done caring enough things to. I may not want to admit them, but deep down I know them. And I feel bad for them. I'm not smug and that glib. But what I don't need is to step into church and have someone remind me of these things as if I'm some sort of psychopath. 
who needs to be shaken up. You know, what I need is a place that's friendly and safe and warm and, 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 and full of friends, a place where I, I know I can turn to God and to other people to make a new start where I won't be judged. I need grace, right? That's what we call it, grace. And when you are loved and forgiven by God, even before you know it yourself, when you love and you forgive people first and you worry about pointing out the sins later, it's when you decide to give acceptance to others before anything else. And it's backwards of how most of our world works. Right? Most of the world wants you to confess first. Then we'll decide if it's a good enough confession and if we'll forgive you. But the grace of God goes the opposite way. And, and I know this is kind of hard for human thinking because I, I, I think there's maybe this, this fear in the back of our minds that, that, that grace won't be quite enough. That if we pour out unconditional love on someone, some might, just, some might not see the error of their ways. And I suppose some will, that's not, but that's not how I've felt it myself. For me, it's been that I come to God with my burdens to unload my guilt, to ask for a new start, because I know that God loves me and will not judge me. Yes, there is some judgment from God. Some people will not accept grace and want to continue to be cruel. I will let God deal with that. We focus on grace. Because that's what the world needs now, is grace. And with grace, you can begin to come clean about your guilt. That's my dream, of course. right? That we can live up to our name as a church. Lord of grace. Notice how we're not Lord of law. Lord of law. We're not Lord of punishment. We're not Lord of, I know what you did last summer. To be a place of grace, of friendship, of refuge. A place where broken people come for healing, where sinners come to find redeeming, where hurting people come to find wholeness and acceptance in a world that doesn't give it. A place of grace, not a place of guilt. That's the dream, right? That's the dream that we live for, that what God teaches in, in, the, in the scriptures, what Jesus lives in the gospels. Amen.